welcome to The Darkest Hour. I'm your host, Amanda Jane. Ah, the holiday season. My guess is that a love for this time of year may be divided amongst the ones who actually enjoy seeing their family and the ones who feel a daunting obligation to attend the gatherings. Thankfulness, of course, exists beyond the holidays. It's year-round, and sometimes it's not always blood relatives who occupy a seat at the table. It's the ones who you know care about you, just as much as you do them. Sometimes it can even be just a fuzzy cat in a book. Either way, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a part of your day. I'm happy you've made your way here with me. And I'll bet by the end of tonight's episode, you'll at least be thankful that you are simply hearing these stories and not living them. Darkness doesn't sit idle for the holidays. So, let's get started, shall we? About a month ago, I started working in a nursing home near where I live. I gotta say, it's not a bad job if strong smells and putrid sights don't bother you. The residents here are usually sweet and lovable, although there are rude, grumpy people here as well. Who can really blame them, though? They don't have many years left, and many of them don't get visitors anymore. It fulfills me to talk with them and to give them someone to talk to since their families are no longer around. All was going well here with this job until they put me on the dementia wing. I always knew that I'd have to work in this wing. They bounced me around the floors pretty much wherever they need me. At first, it was just another normal day. I put together my cart and cleaned the floor. However... After I came back from my first 15-minute break, I started getting very unsettled. I'm not sure what caused this trigger, but if I had to guess, it was because I was too tired to really take in how creepy this side of the facility was. The rooms are strewn about, almost randomly, as if they were trying to pack as many people in here as possible. The residents here are often gray and gloomy, missing hair and teeth. I walked along the crowded halls, cleaning room by room, really taking in these people's lives, trying to piece together some story. What unnerved me more was the rooms without a lot of possessions, as if someone simply said, they're so far gone, why would they need a lot of stuff? Broken clocks that no longer worked or were set to a very wrong time as if to really pound into my head that most of these men and women have no concept of time anymore. The overhead lights that drone on, the rectangular boxes that house, a reminder of the back rooms in a vague sense. This reminder was greatly heightened in the residents' bathrooms, where the buzzing was harsher, louder, more vivid. I turned off I don't know how many lights in these bathrooms, to ease myself a bit more. The walls were a pinkish-tan color. This was the biggest reminder yet. For some reason, the color seemed to fit perfectly with the unsettling atmosphere. The staff was even creepy in a sense. 
the way they weren't put off by it, even seemed joyful, made me feel more out of place here. I wanted to go home this day. I'm not a weak-minded person by any means, but something about the atmosphere was making me incredibly uncomfortable. Like I was a ghost walking through these halls. Now there's only about 10 or 15 rooms left. I pulled my cart into a big open alcove in the hallway, where most of the residents were sitting in wheelchairs, as none of them had the strength to walk anymore. Staring mindlessly at a TV, playing cute videos of animals, assumingly to put the residents at ease. However, this one thing that made me feel comfort quickly turned into dread. It was off-putting. This was the one good aspect of this wing of the nursing home, as if it didn't belong on the television. Their eyes, they looked at me with such sorrow, as if to say, help me, without saying anything at all. I'm not really sure how many of them can actually speak. Some of them look at me and ask, where am I? And I'm at a loss as... I don't know how to answer in a way that they'll understand. Then the screaming, the cries for help, the yelling for anyone to come and comfort them, yelling out blood-curdling screams when the nurse remotely touched them in any way. I just have to watch as I'm a janitor who cleans their rooms. I'm not allowed to touch the patients, no way to give comfort other than words. When they can barely hear let alone process what I'm saying. This wing is so incredibly unnerving and sad. Listening and watching all of this does remind me of a piece of art known as Everywhere at the End of Time. And I feel as if this experience is only more unnerving, having prior knowledge of this sad piece of art. The worst part of it all, this could easily be any one of us when we get old not knowing what is real and what isn't, and crying out for loved ones who aren't there and will never come. My sister and I found ourselves in a horrifying situation as we drove to drop me off at college. This was over eight years ago, just outside of Bozeman, Montana, in a tiny town called Matthews. It was around 6 p.m., and we'd been on the road for hours. Besides having to pee, I was also really hungry. My sister was big on making as little stops as possible, so I'd been patient enough. She told me just a few more miles and we would stop. Before the few more miles was up, we heard a large bang followed by the car shaking heavily to the left. Then we heard the sound of scraping. We both started checking all of the mirrors, and my sister exclaimed, Shit. I could see mild sparks flying from the left back side of the car. We had a flat tire. My sister pulled the car over, and together we tried to change our first tire together. It was all going fine, but I really had to pee. We hadn't seen a lot of cars pass by, but enough that I didn't feel comfortable popping a squat right there on the side of the road. I asked my sister if she'd go across the way with me, 
but she didn't want to leave the car perched up without one of us there. So I ventured across the two-lane highway myself to the side with trees lining the way. I hopped across a small ravine and made my way behind some tall trees. Once I found the perfect spot, I turned around and started the process. While I was peeing, I noticed a real run-down house, more like a large shed. It was boarded up, but not fresh. The boards were dirty, and the place was relatively covered in and by the surrounding nature. A tree was actually growing out of one of the windows, not boarded up. It wasn't dark yet, and for some reason, I think that's why I wasn't afraid of this place. I finished up and walked to the road where I told my sister that we had to check out this building back here. She was always trying to take photos of weird things, and this was by definition weird. She told me to come and help with the tire first. Fair enough. We finished putting the spare tire on, which would easily last us till Bozeman. After locking up the car and grabbing her camera, my sister entertains me by visiting the strange shelter across the road. We walk the perimeter, and I find the door, which is boarded up, but it looks as though those boards have been broken. I reach for the door handle, just to see if I was lucky enough to encounter an unlocked door. I wasn't. I looked around the door to see if something was in the way. As I was leaning down, reaching for the bottom of the door, I see a shadow cross behind me. It creeped me out so much I almost lost balance. I looked back, hoping to see my sister, but she's still on the side of the house. As I turned around to walk back to my sister, I heard the sound of a deadbolt unlocking. I turned just my head to see, was it the door? And the door itself is slowly opening. Before it can even open more than just a crack, I race back to my sister, telling her that we have to go, now. She looks at me, then slightly behind me. Her eyes go wide, and she orders me, Go, go, run. We both run back to the car. I hear her fussing for her keys and swearing up a storm. She finds the keys, unlocks the doors. We pile in, lock the doors, and as my sister starts the car... I look around frantically. It's starting to get dark, but there's still light. I see nothing, though. I ask her, what did she see? She tells me she doesn't know, but also to stop talking while she gets us out of there. After a few minutes, I ask her again, what did she see? She tells me that behind me, close to the side of the shed where I was just previously standing... She saw a hand, followed by an arm, creep around the side. She said she guessed it was human, but it was terrifying. Thin and gray in color, long nails just reaching out. She was convinced it was the same thing that I saw, but I told her I didn't actually see anything, except, of course, a door unlocking and starting to open, presumably on its own. We still have no idea what we saw out there. A person? Some sort of creature? I don't know. I'm just happy that we changed that tire 
so we didn't have to stick around and find out. This happened about a year and a half ago. I was at work, night shift, a little past midnight, and I ordered DoorDash for myself and my supervisor, since it was her birthday. I was happy to see that I had the same driver as last time, as I work in a small building among other identical buildings with a convoluted road system in between them all. It can be a little confusing for someone who's not used to it. I'd been watching the map, and I went outside once he was close by. I stood under a cluster of bright lights in our parking lot, wearing neon yellow. You couldn't miss me. Immediately, I get a call from my driver, asking me to come to him. I look around, and I don't see anyone, until I walk a couple of yards to the center of the lot. He's sitting on the side of my building, by the dumpster, where there's no light. He also has his lights off. I'm thinking, what the hell, dude? I start waving my arms and telling him I'm in front of the building and he's on the side. He hangs up and just chills there for a minute. At this point, I'm really annoyed because our food is getting cold and this delivery guy delivered in the exact same spot a week before. Finally, he turns his lights on and comes over to me. As soon as he pulls up, he's speaking another language into his phone, which then translates to English. Something like... And then he puts the phone towards me. I feel like I'm speaking to a child because, hello, this is inappropriate. And I say, oh, that's a cool app. And I look at him, waiting. He keeps speaking into the app about needing friends, and I tell him my supervisor is waiting for me, and I reach my hand out for the food. He tries to touch my hand and then asks for my number. At this point, the fact that he had tried to get me in the dark, plus his persistence, turned my growing annoyance into fear. I tell him I need the food, and he asks me to get in his car, in perfect English. Thank the Lord at this moment, someone in my sister building comes out and makes their way over to the lot. He finally gives me my food and scurries off, which freaks me out. Why, after all of that, would he speed off at the sight of another person? Clearly his intentions were not good. I reported all of this to DoorDash at the time, as well as my local police and social media. And it turns out that he'd done this to someone who lives two miles away from me. She had also ordered late at night, and he apparently asked her if she lived alone and if they could hang out, all while holding her food hostage. DoorDash assured me that they deactivated him, but his boldness and the fact that he seems to only drive late at night makes me think that he does this a lot and has probably already assaulted someone. weird encounter today at the gym. I usually don't go to this gym too often, but today I walked into the men's changing room 
and I walked past what looked like a man, standing by the mirror. He was shirtless and was either wearing all black pants or shorts. I couldn't remember. When I walked past, I wasn't paying much attention. But he was just looking straight into the mirror, standing stationary, as I walked behind him to the benches to change, mentioning that he was the only one in there with me. As I walked to the benches, it was really quiet, and each step I took echoed really loud and bounced right back all around me. I don't know how else to explain it, it just didn't feel right in there. But I just ignored it since there wasn't even a reason to feel that way. As I put my jacket in my bag and took everything out of my pockets, I kind of felt eyes looking at me. But I just ignored it as my back was facing him. It felt as if he turned his head to the right to look over at me. When I was done putting my stuff away and I turned back around, he wasn't in front of the mirror anymore. I walked back towards the mirror to walk where I had first come from to exit. And once I got to the mirror, I looked to my left and I saw him there, posted up by the wall with a very creepy smirk, looking right at me. His eyes, I couldn't really comprehend. His face looked deformed, and I was kind of in shock. I paused and got a good look at him, and then I just walked out. He looked like the truth or dare face, if you've ever seen that movie. As I was walking out, I said, You think I'm scared of you, motherfucker? With no reply, I walked out the changing room door and I did my workout. I've heard stories of jinns and demons appearing to people in human form, in all black clothing, and just looking like regular people. I've had a couple experiences like that not too long ago, but what happened today was much more aggressive. Has anyone had a similar experience, or who may know? what it could be really just kind of shocked I can't believe that this happened to me in 2014 I moved to England from Canada to gain work and travel experience and also to find myself I ended up living in Essex with three other roommates they were all women, all a bit older than I was. I was 24 at the time, Megan 31, Cherry was 34, and Cassie was 38. Megan was from New York, Cherry from New Jersey, and Cassie from Poland. All four of us shared this three-story flat. The back of our home was the living room and kitchen. The back wall was complete glass that looked out into the garden. The garden was completely fenced in. The house had an interesting dynamic, to say the least. Tons of stories from that time in my life. I adored all of my roommates except Cherry. After living with Cherry for seven months, I was over her antics. One day, I came home from work. I locked the door, make myself something to eat, and go up to bed. I brought home some work with me, so I'm in my nightie with all of my papers around me and my headphones jamming out. I had headphones on because Cherry was out to dinner with work friends. 
That meant booze, and then soon after, that a tantrum was surely to come. I just didn't want to have to listen to her crazy scream crying. I'm working away, completely focused, until I feel something. I look up to see a man standing over me. I don't register it right away, and since Cherry regularly brought strange men home, I passively say, Cherry's room is on the second floor, and continue to work. He doesn't leave. Again, Cherry's room is downstairs. You... He then interrupts me. I'm not here for Cherry. A cold chill iced my veins. My fight or flight kicked in just then. I started surveying the situation. I look him up and down. He had a bottle of Prosecco in one hand and a knife in the other. He's about 5'10", wild, muddy brown hair, and black eyes. He has a light blue polo shirt on. And on one side of his collar, it's popped up. And he has a distinct Manchester accent. Once I focused in, I realized his eyes were black because his pupils were completely dilated. Shit. I was in trouble. I needed an escape plan. Unfortunately, this man was standing in between me and my bedroom door. I needed to get downstairs, but I needed him to think that it was his idea. I decided to play along. Just then, he uses his knife to pop the cork. Prosecco starts flowing onto my carpet, and I said, Oh no, let's clean that up. I prefer to drink out of a proper flute anyways. Yeah, you're a proper classy bird. Let's go. I try to act as natural as possible. I try not to show that I'm shaking all over. I try to gain control over my breathing. We take the long journey down to the main floor of my flat. All three floors. He has the back of my nightie bunched up in one hand, and I could feel the point of the knife graze my back with his other. I was trying to playfully speak to him as we walked down the stairs. I couldn't tell you what I was saying. I was most likely rambling. I couldn't hear anything over my heart beating in my ears. We get to the bottom of the stairs, and there's a hallway to my left that leads to the front door. On my right, which is much closer to us, is the kitchen and living room. We make our way into the kitchen... I point to the cabinets that has the wine glasses. He said he knew where they were and started towards them. I now had the kitchen table in between us. It was time to run. I burst into a sprint down the hallway towards the door. My hands fumble over the locks, shaking and sweating. I swing open the door and see two men walking across the street. They must have been walking home from the train There was a big train station in front of our home. I call out to them for help, and suddenly I'm flung onto the ground. Little pebbles piercing my skin. They sent sharp pains where they jabbed. The intruder pushed me out of the way to run and escape. One of the men chased after the intruder, while the other said for me to go inside while he surveyed my home and to call the police. I locked the doors 
and I called the police. While I was on the phone with dispatch, I manically run around the house and double-check all of the windows and doors. Suddenly, I hear a loud bang on my door. I inform the dispatch of the banging, and she informs me that police weren't there yet. I thought it might be one of the gentlemen who helped me. I go to look out the eye hole, and it's him, the intruder. He came back. He's banging on my door, screaming that I had his glasses and that he was not done with me. I absolutely freak out. The dispatcher attempts to calm me down, but I'm losing my ever-loving mind. She then said, They're pulling onto your street now. You should hear their sirens. I did. Thank God. The intruder then blasts off. One officer jumps out of the passenger side while the car's still moving and chases after him. The second officer comes into my home, interviews me and the two gentlemen, collects evidence, and takes photos. After some time of him being there, Cherry comes home and freaks out. Once the situation was explained to her, she said, Oh my god, that could have been me. Yeah, thanks Cherry, it's all about you. The next morning, I'm called in to identify the man that they had in custody. I pointed him out. I go into a little room and the officer pulls out an evidence bag. He asks me if the items were mine. They were. There was a pair of my underwear and photos taken from my home. The officer informed me that the intruder had been stalking me for some time now. He estimates three months. He had made a nest outside our home, on top of a hill that overlooked our living room and kitchen. He's also a known sex offender and drug dealer. The officer then told me how lucky I was to get out practically unharmed. Others weren't so lucky. To the man who stalked me and broke into my home, let's not meet again. However, I would love to run into those two gentlemen again. Every day, I'm thankful for them. I figured I would share this story that happened to me about 15 years ago while working as a night auditor in a hotel. Basically, I worked from midnight till 9 in the morning, five nights a week, for a few years at this hotel. I'd always heard stories about it possibly being haunted, but I had never had any experiences at all for the first few years, other than weird noises that could have been attributed to just about anything. Anyways, at this job, I would usually sit in the main office, work on my laptop during my shift while watching the security monitors. The office where I sat has a large desk, like a school principal or someone would have, and the monitors, maybe 15-inch computer monitors, are all the way on the other side of the office, facing me, about 15 or 20 feet away. Anyways, I would normally just work on stuff or surf the internet on my laptop and watch the monitors in case any guests would show up in the lobby to check in or out or to ask for towels, etc. Keep in mind, during my shift, I'm the only employee there for the whole night, 
Anyways, while most of the nights were pretty quiet and uneventful, one particular night I kept feeling uneasy for some reason. I felt like I was being watched. Something just felt off. I brushed it off as just being tired and just tried to ignore it. It has been a while ago now, so I can't remember all the details leading up to it, but something very strange and terrifying happened that night. At least enough so that I've shared this story with countless people over the years. Some of you might think it's no big deal, but you'd have to experience it for yourself to know what it's like. Basically, while already feeling uneasy and sitting at the office desk, I saw a thick, dense black fog literally flying around the lobby on the security monitor. Even as I type this, I'm getting insane goosebumps. My initial thought was, what the fuck is that? And I got up to take a closer look at the monitor. It was still there, moving around every corner of the room. Keep in mind, I've always watched these monitors for several hours a night, and I've never seen anything like this. No, I was spooked out, bad. The hair on my arm stood up, and I got terror chills. I got enough courage to take a peek through the door to see if I could see it in person, not just on the monitor. But I saw nothing at all. I then went back to look at the monitor again, and it was still there. That's when I had an idea. I was going to screen capture it by pressing print screen on the keyboard. Each of the two monitors was hooked up to two separate computers, and I kid you not, as soon as my hand went for the print screen key, the black mass flew away as fast as it could toward the bottom left of the screen. But luckily, I got at least a tiny piece of it before it was gone forever. The even more effed up thing is that the camera did record video for 72 hours before recording over itself. But when I went back to watch the tape, there was no mass at all. Makes zero sense. Anyways, feel free to look at the screen capture I was able to get. And if anyone knows what this is, please let me know. I thought I'd share another true creeper story. This one happened when I was ten. My mom and I had spent a whole Sunday repainting and decorating my room. I got a new bedspread and new curtains. I was super excited how we were decorating it to fit how I was getting older, a more tween style. We hung the curtains and did up my bed super nice. Even changed the furniture up so my bed faced a different direction. I had my new curtains up, and we admired them with the blinds open to appreciate the new wall color in the natural light. I went to bed that night feeling like a big girl in my new space, but I'd forgotten to close the blinds. I remember dreaming that my dog was making a bunch of noise with stuff on the floor by my bedside. Then I wake up. I hear my mom from their bedroom saying, what the hell is that noise? 
For some reason, I knew the answer before I was awake enough to understand. And I immediately yelled out, I think it's coming from my window. I heard both of my parents leap out of bed at lightning speed. My mom in my room seconds later. She flipped the light on and flung the window all the way open. Across the street, someone was standing. By that time, my dad had already thrown his clothes on, grabbed his gun, and was going through the front door, just 15 feet or so from my window. My mom starts yelling at him, and I remember her saying, Yeah, you better f***ing run. Typing it feels way less scary sounding than how she said it. At this point, the guy across the street bolts down around the block. My dad ran to the garage and jumped in his truck. My mom took me into the living room and helped me fall back asleep on the couch. But I remember being scared that the person might come back. I don't remember my dad getting home, but in the morning, my parents made things very normal, and I went to school. I remember telling the other fourth graders in my desk clump all about the weird guy that was apparently knocking on my window. Their shocked faces were surprising to me for some reason. When I got home from school that day, my mom had something to share with me. When my mom had opened my window the night before, a letter from the stranger had flown in, and in the commotion, we hadn't seen it. She found it after I went to school. She didn't tell me everything it said, but that he was instructing me to take off my clothes and stand at the window. If I didn't, he'd blow up the bomb that he had hidden under my bed. This actually made me laugh out loud because my version of cleaning my room as a kid consisted of me shoving everything under my bed that was currently cluttering my floor. I knew there was not even an inch of free hiding space under there for any bomb. My parents immediately called the cops when they found the letter. They came out that day while I was at school and got shoe impressions from the mud by my window. Nothing else was done as far as police involvement, but my parents spoke to all the neighbors, and one had actually seen someone who he thought was one of the teenage boys that lived down the street. There wasn't a way to prove that it was one of them, but they were actually pretty crazy guys. Their dad had died in the Oklahoma City bombing, and after that, their mom had let the house fill up with dog shit. They were causing other problems in the neighborhood, too. It all ended when the younger one lit off a bottle rocket inside their house and burnt the front half of the house down. They moved after that, and I was thankful. I live in an apartment where an infamous child murder occurred. This is a long story with a bit of graphic exposition. Reader discretion advised. For anyone who's read my other stories, I seem to be a magnet for child spirits. So a bit of history. In 2009, the national media got swept up in a story about an eight-year-old who'd been reported missing by his mother. Amber alerts went out. Thousands of people joined the search, but for days, he wasn't found. 
His mother was on TV, asking for help, finding her son at all hours of the day. Then a few days later, he was found, floating in one of the irrigation canals. Upon investigation, it was discovered that the mom's boyfriend was doing unspeakable, evil things and physically abusing the boy. For punishment, he would be locked in the walls, an unfinished closet for access to the central air and heating unit, and he had to stay in there for hours. Health and welfare would do routine check-ins at the home, during which the mother and her boyfriend would lock the boy in the closet so they wouldn't see the bruising from the most evil punishment, in which the boy had to lay on the floor and the mom's boyfriend would do knee drops onto his chest with force. Do the math from there, I do not want to get any more graphic. The mother and her boyfriend then took the body half a mile to the canal and dropped it in, went home and called in a missing child report. For justice sake, the mother and her boyfriend are now in prison in general population, a fate worse than the death penalty for people who hurt children. Fast forward four years in 2013, my wife and I were looking for an apartment for us and our two kids. We got into a three-bedroom apartment that sets the rent you pay based on your income. There's a pool, fitness center, in-unit washer and dryer, central air and heat, a paradise compared to where I lived before. We had no idea what we were moving into. As I began to make friends with my neighbors, I got to talk to some of the old-timers, the ones that had been living there for years. We would talk about a lot of different things, but as soon as they found out which apartment I live in, oh, you live in that apartment. Have you had anything weird happen yet? No, why? Do you remember the, insert child's name, case? You live in that apartment. During the search and discovery coverage, the news was very careful not to disclose the actual location where it all occurred. They showed a house a few blocks away where the boy would often go because his friends lived there. We had no way to know what we had just moved into. Our state also doesn't have a mandatory disclosure law. Well, the lack of activity was short-lived. Odd, but little things started happening. If I took off my glasses and set them down while they defog after coming in from the cold, I would come back to that spot a few minutes later. My glasses weren't there, and I'd finally find them, right where I left them, in the spot that they were, and then they weren't, and then they were. And I'm talking about the middle of a clean counter, or a ledge right by the door, not something I'm just going to overlook. They were there, then they weren't, then they were. I initially chalked this up to the fact that I'm getting older, and also have MS. I'm also a tobacco smoker, only tobacco. Numerous times I looked and looked and I couldn't find the lighter that I had just had an hour ago. Finally, I'd go to the kitchen drawer, grab a box of matches in the drawer, and head out to the patio. 
just as I got the match lit and touched it to the tip of my cigarette. Something fell on my hand and clattered on the ground at my feet. I looked down, and there's my lighter. Also, a fun one that happens. I shave when I'm in the shower, and I keep my razor in a caddy hanging from the shower head. I will be on the other end of the bathtub, soaking up, and feel something hit my back and then fall on the floor. My razor mysteriously traveled four feet through the air and hit me in the back. Most of the stuff that happens is small, mischievous, and funny. The kind of jokes and pranks a child would play. And now I've taken to saying hello to him every time something like that happens. But as more happens, and I research more about the case, so much more comes to light about things that had been happening, and I didn't know why. My daughter's room has the closet, where the air and heat unit is housed. She'd always complain about hearing scratching, banging, and occasionally a voice coming from the closet. We're on the ground floor, and there are living, fleshy children upstairs. Apartments always have sounds. No, Dad. The sound is in the closet. I still explained it away. Something about the way sound travels and amplifies in heating ducts. Until the breaker on the heater popped, and I had to go in and reset it. And then I saw, scratched into the wood frame in the walls, half hidden by years of dust, the murdered child's name. I sanded it out so my daughter wouldn't see it and get freaked out. We can't afford to find another place to live in this city. Also, occasionally, when my son and I are talking crap and both of us bust out laughing, there's another laugh in the room with us. But my wife and daughter are in the other rooms, or not at home. This all brings me to the point where I just have to tell the story because it just happened. For the first time, 20 hours ago, as of the time I'm writing this. My wife and I both woke up at the same time because we heard someone whispering in our room. As my eyes first opened, I saw a young boy kneeling next to my bed, reaching out for my little dog who was sleeping next to me. Not a transparent apparition either, solid appearing and kneeling right next to the bed trying to pet my dog. As consciousness and my connection to reality increased, the boy faded away into the ether. Ordinarily, I could attribute this to me just still being asleep and dreaming. But I saw my wife moving off the bed toward the bathroom as he faded away in front of my fully open eyes. But yeah, I live in an apartment where a nationally covered child murder occurred. What is it with me and child spirits?
Well, friends, that's all the stories we have for tonight's episode, but we've got brand new ones every Friday night. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, tap the notification bell, and tell all your friends. Thank you so much to everyone for listening, and also to everyone who shared their stories. Do you have stories like these? I'd love to share them. Send them to me, amanda, darkest hour, at gmail.com. Stay spooky. <laughs>